that we see throughout the scripture. And Jesus says through his death, the new covenant comes. And so we have an opportunity today to remember on New Year's Day, the new covenant that Jesus bought for us through his death. Through breaking his body, through shedding his blood. And that's what we do today as we come together for communion. And without that, without him coming to give his very life, to shed his blood for our forgiveness, without that happening, we have no hope of any uh, of anything, let alone hope of anything new happening in our lives, little hope of any change in our life. And that's going to be the theme that we're going to be looking at today as we continue even into the sermon. But as we do this, I want us to remember that this isn't just a ritual that we do, but this is really to remember what Jesus has done and really in, in that, to remember who he is, to remember what he's doing even now, that through his death, through uh, what he's done to forgive us of our sins, and then after that was had risen again to give new life, that we can have hope in this new year, we can have hope in our lives. And so that's today as we come together to do this. That's what I hope we can remember. Remember the work of Jesus on our behalf and for his glory, as we just sang about as well. And so again, we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, what we're going to do before we read the verses and we take these together, I just want to give us a few minutes to reflect, just to think about what Christ has done in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, and uh, if there happens to be anything that uh, you need to get right maybe with someone who you're, who's here and you feel like you need to do that in the spirit of forgiveness of Jesus, then that would be the opportunity right now as well. But I just want to give us each a little bit of time just to reflect upon what Jesus is to us, and we know who he is, we know what he's done, but to actually think about it and to reflect upon the fact that we, are, we have new life because of what Jesus has done as we're about to celebrate this together. So let's just take a couple minutes and reflect. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 23, Paul reminds us what this is all about. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember his broken body together. Then he continues, so we've already talked about, but he said, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember the blood that Jesus shed. And would you join me in a prayer of thanksgiving? Lord, we thank you for the great incredible sacrifice that you made on our behalf. We thank you that you broke your body for us, that you became flesh, dwelled among us, and then died for us. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you then shed your blood for our forgiveness and then also rose again. We thank you for the 
power of God that is seen through the resurrection. And today, as we continue to go to your word, would you help us to anchor ourselves in what we just remembered, the good, gracious gift of Jesus, good, gracious gift of God the Father, the good, gracious gift of the Holy Spirit that we have within us even now. Thank you, Lord, for this gift, and thank you for this opportunity to continue to worship you together in your word. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so indeed, today we are going to be looking at this concept of change, Uh, and uh, you'll see that the title is A Time for Change, and many times that's what happens when we come to New Year's Day. Uh, It is a New Year's Day, we are still taking a little bit of a break from Matthew, uh, and we'll get back to there in a couple weeks, but today we're going to be looking at this idea of change, we'll also be looking at that next week as well, this is going to be a two-part mini-series if you want to put it that way. So we're going to be looking at change over the next two weeks, and today with just the idea of New Year's Day, a new year has come, and it seems to be, as we look around, and maybe you've felt this in your heart as well, I know I have, when a new year comes around, we start to examine the year behind us, and we start to think, well, what needs to change in the coming year? What needs to change in the coming parts of our lives? It comes with a desire to start over and maybe make positive changes. And I think that's a good thing. Many people will make New Year's resolutions. Most people will not follow through. But I think the reason that people make resolutions is because there is a deep desire in their hearts to see change in their life. And I think that's a good thing as long as it's the right kind of change. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about what exactly change looks like. What is change all about? How does it work? Uh, All of these things. Uh, and all of us have changes we might want to see in our lives. So I, I, I made a little short list here, but many of us have changes maybe we'd like to see, maybe in 2023. And what is it for you? I mean, maybe it's the classic to lose weight or get healthy. Maybe that's the change you want to make in your life. Uh, maybe it's about uh, your finances. Maybe you want to be wiser with your money. Maybe you want to be more generous, more giving to those around you. Maybe you know you have a bad habit that you want to stop. And so this year, 2023, you want to change your bad habit and no longer do it. Or maybe you want to start a good habit, maybe something that you know you should be doing that aren't. And many of us might fall into this, especially in a church body where we start saying things like, well, I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to make sure that I get into a, it's January 1st. I might as well read my Bible in a year this year. And then usually by about January, you know, 5th, uh, you've, you've already gotten off of your schedule and you get really guilty. You start thinking, why can't I change this? I want to be able to develop this habit. I want to be able to read my Bible more. I want to be able to pray more. I want to be able to do whatever it might be that's a good habit that you know you should do. And maybe it's not even spiritual. Maybe it's something altogether different. Or maybe it's just this idea that I want to change and I want to be a better fill in the blank. I want to be a better father. I I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better mother. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better child. I want to be a better uh, employee. I want to be a better boss. You know, fill in whatever blank that might be. And, you, and that's pretty vague, but sometimes that's just how we feel. And I think there's some reasons of why we feel these things and why we want to change. And as I already said, sometimes, especially in a church context, this is a time for many Christians to start thinking about spiritual change. Like, how can I change my spiritual temperature, if you want to put it that way? Are there sins in my life that I need to defeat? Are there things that I know I shouldn't be doing that I need to stop? 
Are there disciplines that I need to be continuing? Do I need to be doing something more? And we get this in our head and we start thinking, I need something more. I need to change. And sometimes it's trivial things. Sometimes it's really good things that we need to change. And we're going to talk about change today, but all these changes that we've talked about, whether spiritual change in in trying to figure out how to defeat sin or to have better discipline or any of the other things I mentioned, the thing about it is, is these changes are all well and good. These aren't necessarily bad things, but here's what I want us to understand by the end of today. At the end of the day, even changing all of these things, even if we become more healthy, we uh, spend our money better, we have less bad habits, we have more good habits, we are a better person in general, even if we are praying more, reading our Bible more, and doing the things that we think we should be doing more, all of that, if we're doing it all from a, from a place of thinking that we somehow are the power behind our change, that we're, this is not the change that we're going to need. It's not going to be lasting. It's not going to stick around. And then we're going to find ourselves falling into, like I, I've kind of joked about a little bit, but I think all of us have experienced where we've made a commitment, we've, whether we want to call it a New Year's resolution or just a commitment some other time during the year, and we've we fall short. We, we end up failing at what we say we want to do, and then it creates guilt. And then we, it drives us even more to say, well, I need to change more again. It's a vicious cycle. And I think a lot of us maybe have experienced that. And I think, there, again, there's a reason we want change, but there's a reason that it doesn't last. And I think it's because we don't understand what true change is really all about. And so for the next two weeks, we are going to look at what real change is all about. We're going to look at what real change we need. We're going to look about how, what it's all about and how we can end up seeing it happen. This is not going to be a list of to-dos. This is going to be, hopefully, what we see from Scripture to understand. If we want to understand and know real change in our lives that's going to last, that's going to matter, that there is going to be some truth of Scripture that we need to apply to our lives. And today it starts with a couple of things. We're going to look at the basics, the need for change, the goal of change, and the source of change. We're going to look at those three things, and then next week we're going to look at the means of change. And all of those things should come together to give us a better picture of what it looks like to change. And I hope that some of you here have a desire to change. If you're in a place where you just feel like everything's perfect for you, um, you're a very strange person. Um, because we all have things that I, th- that I believe we want to see change, but at the deepest level, change will only happen as we understand the truth of change, and what it really looks like. And so that's what we're going to look at for the next two weeks. So let's get started with today's ideas, and we're going to start by looking at the need for change. So why do we even have a desire for change, and why is there a need for change? I'm going to say it's good to want change, and I think there's a reason. And we're going to look at some reasons today. We're going to look at some stuff, and and we're going to go to Scripture. Now again, uh, as this is more of a topical message, and we're not just sticking to one text We're going to be kind of jumping here and there throughout the scriptures, but they will be on the screen this week, so follow along as you can. But we're going to look at some general ideas here for the need for change to start. So why do we need change? Well, it's very basic. It's very simple, but many of us, I don't think, put it down to this. If you were to boil it down, why do we need change and why do we feel the need for change? Well, the first thing we're going to look at is that we all have a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. Let's face it. Uh, Even though many of us know Jesus, he's our savior, we know that we've been forgiven of our sins, yet we still fight against the desire to sin. We still fight against the ideas that we still do things we know God would not approve of, and we know that we are still sinners. And that's the truth of the matter. We've been forgiven, we have a new standing with God, but yet we still struggle with the sin that is here in this world. And we all have a sin problem. We've had a sin problem that we needed Jesus to fix, uh, and 
he is continuing to fix it. And that's what we're going to think about in, for this next section. So let's just read 1 John 1, 8 through 10, and see that 1 John here, as it's written to believers, what it says about our relationship with sin. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Again, this passage many times is used as uh, we're talking to people who, are, who don't believe in Jesus. But it, this is written to believers to understand that, listen, there is sin still within us. But the good news is verse 9, that if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so we can walk in forgiveness, and yet we still see that even as Christians, we're going to have a sin problem. And so we should want change because we should want less sin and more purity. That's how God has wired us if we really believe in Jesus. And so that's where we start. We see that there is a sin problem. And let's just make it clear, sin is not something that is just out there. A lot of times we talk about the sin of this world. And yes, there is sin all around us. But sin is not just about what's happening out there, but sin is something that starts from in here. Uh, actually, James 1, uh, 14 through 15, I don't have this on the screen. I added this after the PowerPoint was done. But uh, if you just want to listen to James 1, uh, and we're going to look at uh, verses 14 and 15, if you're following along, but 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James reminds us that sin that brings death comes as a result of desire that comes from within us. It doesn't come from outside forces. So let us never say, as James would go back, if you look at the context, say, God made me do this, like, did, tempted me to do this. But also let us never say, the devil made me do this. Right? There's not an outside force that's going to create a situation where we have to sin. As believers, we have been uh, made dead to sin, which we're going to look at a little bit later. And so as we think about all of that, we see that James says, listen, the sin that we fight with, let's not just put it on this level of like it's out there. It's something we need to deal with out there and get rid of other people's sin, but realize that sin comes from within, that it's not out there, but it's in here. This is the real change that we all really desire and need, and that is freedom from sin. And we might not be able to put our finger on that every time. Maybe the change that you want to make doesn't seem like it's a sin issue, and maybe it's not. But many times you can see that there's a link back to some sin that we want to have freedom from. And I think this is a good, a good desire to change. We want to change so that we will see less sin in our lives. I believe that's what God has put in our hearts, which brings us to our next idea. Not only do we have a sin problem, but as people, we are led astray by our hearts. We are led astray by our hearts. Many of you will know Jeremiah 17, 9. This is something we quote often, and I think it's important to understand. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It says that our heart, what's inside of us, what makes us us, it's deceitful above all things. It'll show us that we can do things in our own strength. It'll show us that we can go a certain way and we feel good about it. And actually, as we come into Christmas time, like all we hear so often, especially if you are a fan of that one TV station that has lots of really great Christmas movies, is follow your heart. Yeah, Hallmark. Uh, follow your heart. I've heard it almost every single movie I've watched this year. Follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. That's the worst advice you can give to anyone ever. Don't do it and don't listen. Don't listen to Hallmark. 
You can enjoy it. But follow your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceitful. It's going to lead you astray. And so as our hearts, the very center of who we are is so willing to lead us astray, we desperately need change. We need to change. Our heart needs to change. Not just uh, our actions, which we'll talk about at great depth. But also Jesus says the same idea here in Mark 7, 21 through 23. This is what Jesus says. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. As Jesus is saying this to uh, some religious leaders who think that it's what, what, you, what comes in from the outside that really is what's the problem. And Jesus says, no, all sin comes from within the heart of man. Again, that idea that we already looked at, that sin is not out there, but it's in here. And the idea is, the reason we desperately need change is because as humans, we have a heart that is deceitful that's going to lead us towards sin. So we can't trust ourselves. I, I can't underline that more, and we'll talk a lot about this at the end, but we can't trust ourselves to change. Like, because our heart is not trustworthy. Because it's going to lead to sin. That is what is important to understand about all of this, is that when we talk about change, many times we talk about behavioral change. If I do this more, do this less, then things are going to get better. If we just focus on behavior and what we do, we're going to miss out on what real change is all about because the problem isn't our behavior, the problem is our hearts. And that's what we need to understand as we continue to go forward. So again, the focus of change here needs to be not about external behavior, but about the heart. So, then we also see one more point of why we need change. We have a sin problem, and it's partially because we're led astray by our hearts. But then there's another reason that we feel this need for change, and that is that as Christians, and this is to those who know Jesus, we are not what we will be. We are not what we will be. Now, at first I wrote, we are not what we should be, and I think that's almost true, but I think as we look at 1 John 3, 2 through 3, we'll see that really the understanding of what is told us in 1 John is that we are not yet what we will be. Let's see what he says in 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So what do we see here? I believe we do see that the reason we want change is because deep down inside we know that we are not what we will one day be. First John says here, we are God's children. We know we are, have a relationship with God, but yet we are not what we one day will be. And when we see Jesus, he will make us what we will be, what we should be, what we want to be, which is to be like him, to be pure, as he says here, Uh, in verse 3. And so what does that mean for right now? Well, it means that even now as we understand that we're not what we will be, that we are working towards purification. So in in the sense of we look at our lives and we see that what God is doing in our life and how he's forming us is to form us into himself to be pure. He says, who hopes in him, he who hopes in him. So we have our hope in Jesus that he will purify us and we purify ourselves as he is pure. So we're striving towards what we're going to be, but we are not yet there. And so we should want change because we should want to walk away from sin and be more like Jesus. And we're going to see some overlap here in the next point, but we need to understand that John reminds us that we will be as we should be, but not until we see Jesus. And until then, we wait and we watch as we are purified day by day. Now, I feel like many people have some anxiety, the angst of not measuring up. 
This idea that as they look at their lives, they think, I'm just not what I want to be. I'm not where I want to be. I haven't accomplished as much as I want to accomplish. Maybe I'm still struggling with something that I should have had victory over years ago. And you can fill in whatever blank you want to fill in as we talk about this. And we get to this point where we feel like I'm just not measuring up. And that can be debilitating. That can actually be discouraging. Because if we kept it at we're not what we should be, that's going to be a guilt measure. But if we go back and think we're not what we will be, all of a sudden in the midst of our angst, we understand that God is doing something in us and that one day that's not, whatever we're struggling with, whatever is happening in our life, that's not going to be forever. So there's actually encouragement in understanding that we are not what we will be. Don't focus on, well, I'm not what I should be, because that's going to create guilt. But focus on, I'm not what I will be, but Jesus is bringing me there. And so we have hope. So why do we have a need for change? Well, it's threefold. We have a sin problem that needs to be changed. We are led astray by our hearts. And as these things are happening, we understand that we are not what we will be. And we look forward to what we will be. And we want to see change happen now to get us there. But unfortunately, the way that change usually works, it's step by step, piece by piece, And we get there, but it's going to take a long time. Actually, it's going to take until we see Jesus, until we really are what we will be. But take hope in that. Take comfort in that, knowing that even the change that you're struggling with right now, one day it will happen because the God who has made you his child has promised it for you. So trust in that as we think about the need for change. So then let's take some time to look at the goal of change. So if we understand that we need change because of sin, because of our evil hearts, and because we are not... We are not what we will be. As we think about that, we know that there's a destination that we have not reached. We know that we are sinful and our hearts deceive us. What is the goal of change? If we know we need change, why should we want to change? And I've already said this a little bit. This is not going to be the goal is not simply to change how we act, our behaviors. Yes, that should happen, but there's more to it. So let's look at some things as we kind of take those first three we looked at and flip them around. The goal of change, since we have a sin problem, we must die to sin. Since we have a sin problem, we must start by dying to sin. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And were buried, therefore, by him by baptism, baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Since sin is our problem, we see that Jesus died for us so that we could die for sin. That's what Romans 6 tells us. It says, he has died. We've been baptized into his death. And since he has died, then we also die to sin. But also because he has risen, we also can live a new life. Change is going to come as... We die to sin, and that sin comes away as we realize that we can have a new life in Jesus, that he has died the death that we deserve to die so that we could die to sin, so that we don't have to be controlled by sin any longer. We, like I said, we can't say the devil made me do it, or my nature made me do it, or my, this, this, my desires made me do it. Nothing makes you do it. The, we are not a slave to sin anymore, but we are dead to sin through Jesus and what he's done. The fact that he died... And then rose again. And Colossians 3, 3 through 10 is a longer passage, but also talks about this. So let's look at what he says, what Paul says in Colossians 3, 3 through 10. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put, on, put all of these away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As we look at Colossians 3, we see a very simple truth. And that is that because, again, because of the death of Christ, we have died and now we are hidden in Christ. Christ is now our life. And so if Christ is our life, if we know Jesus, He's our Savior, He is our life, He is the one that died for us so that we could die to sin, that's what needs to happen. Colossians uh, in 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then goes on and says later on, all it gives that whole list of everything that we need to put away, but it then says put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Notice that renewed thing. And the idea is, is that God is renewing us. He is making us new as we are putting to death the sins that want to destroy us. This is not just about us being able to stop sinning. This is about trusting Jesus for his help to renew us so that we'll walk away from sin and walk towards righteousness. We trust in Jesus for that. We understand that through his death and resurrection, that's why we can have his life. And as we have his life, then sin will die. And as I said, this doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but it happens as we continue to be renewed by Jesus himself. And so, as we think about the goal of change, as we know we have a sin problem, we must die to sin, and we see that we do that through Jesus. Next thing we look at is if we have a goal of, if we have, uh, if we have hearts that are evil that lead us astray, we must have our hearts renewed. There must be change in our hearts. We must have our hearts renewed. That's the truth. That's what we need. If we want to experience true change, it's not going to be about making a resolution that's going to cause me to change what I'm doing, but it's going to be about looking to God to have true change in my heart, to have Him renew my heart. And Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 in the Old Testament, this is a prophecy about what will happen uh, when the new covenant comes. And it says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice in Ezekiel, it says as we're looking forward to what's going to happen, it doesn't say uh, you're going to walk in my statutes and you're going to obey my rules and when you do that, then I will make you new. No. In Ezekiel, it says God is going to give us a new heart and a new spirit, and then out of that new heart and out of that new spirit, then we will see that we will walk in his statutes and we will be careful to obey. Obedience comes not because we are strong enough to obey, but because he is renewing our hearts and making us new and changing our very inner being. Our very heart is being changed, but we need to put that into God's hands, not think that we can somehow manufacture this, but understand that a new heart comes before new behavior. If we just try to fix what's on the outside, we're going to miss fixing what really needs to be fixed, what changing what really needs to be changed, and that is our heart. And here's the truth of the matter. We can't change our heart. Who's doing, the, who's doing this in Ezekiel 36? It doesn't say, and they will make themselves a new heart. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. We see that God is in the business of changing hearts. So we trust him to do that in our lives. Even in Colossians 3, as we already looked at this, uh, this chapter, but 
Colossians 3, 12 through 16. I want us to notice what's happening here. And this is after saying you need to put off the old ways and, and put on the new. And, and he says in, in Colossians 3, 12 through 16 this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love this passage because it gives a list of traits that we should see in Christians. What the new life should look like, but notice it's not just about external stuff. It's about compassion. You can't see that. It's about kindness, but again, compassionate hearts. It's about the heart. It goes on and says that we must put on love, and that love and peace of Christ come from our hearts. And finally, thankfulness comes from our hearts. Again, even in Colossians in the New Testament, when it says the new life is going to look different than the old life, it's about our heart condition, not about our behavior. This is going to be important for us to understand as we think about change. You see, we can get, we can get weighed down with guilt when we think that somehow all the change we need in our lives is going to happen if I can just stop sinning, if I can just start doing something, if I can just start reading my Bible more, if I can just start praying, if I can just start coming to church more, if I can just stop doing this sin, then everything will change and everything will get better. But if that's our focus, then we're not focused on what God is focused on. He doesn't want us just to change what's on the outside. That will come, but first the inside needs to change. The heart needs to change, and we need to just put ourselves in his hands and let him do what he does best and renew our hearts. Remember back when we looked at what Jesus said about sin, it said sin proceeds from our hearts. So if sin comes from our heart, then the opposite would be true as well. Righteousness comes from our heart as Christ remakes our heart. So the goal of change is to die to sin and to have our hearts renewed. But then finally, as we know we are not what we will be, we must become like Jesus. That is the goal of change. And this is really the ultimate goal of change all of the other, two, the other two things actually bleed right into this one. Because we must die to sin, so sin has no control over us, just like Jesus didn't, wasn't controlled by sin. We must have our hearts renewed, a new heart that comes through Jesus, and Jesus had the perfect heart. And so now we see we must become like Jesus. This is what the Bible says. It says that the goal of change is not to become a better person. The goal of change is not to have a certain goal met, but the goal of change is to be like Jesus, to know who he is and to be like him. Obviously, this does not mean that we're going to be perfect in this life, but it means we're going to pursue Jesus and the way he lived and acted and loved, and we're going to pursue his heart. Romans eight twenty-eight through 29. You guys know this passage. You know eight twenty-eight for sure, but let's read the whole thing. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Romans 8 says that God is going to create all things in our life to bring good. Now, so many times we stop there and we say, good, okay, no matter what happens, God's going to make my life good. But we need to understand what good is, and that's verse 29. That's being conformed to the image of his Son. 
being like Jesus is the ultimate good. So the worst of times that happen in our lives, the worst trials that we face, it's for the purpose of doing good in our lives, not making our lives more comfortable, but instead making us more like Jesus. Again, this isn't something we do in our own power, but the point is this is exactly right. right? Those, what does God do? He's working things together for good. He's doing this. He's making us more like Jesus, not in our own effort, but in his power. We'll look at that in a little bit. But also in Ephesians 4.24, we also see this idea that we must become like Jesus. When talking about putting, on the, putting off the old ways of living and putting on the new self, this is what we see in Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The likeness of God, we know that Jesus is the uh, perfect imp- impression of God. He is the perfect likeness of God. We know that he is that. We've looked at that throughout Christmas. And he shows true righteousness and true holiness. And so our new self is created according to, we're being created to be more like God, more like Jesus. And so we see that our hearts must become more and more like Jesus as God uses everything in our life to make us more Christ-like. And we also understand that our new self is being changed into the likeness of God himself. Remember, we were created in the image of God as human beings, but now we're being reconformed to his image to be more like God, to be more like Jesus And this will lead us to holiness and righteousness. Again, it doesn't say be holy and righteous and then you will be created in the likeness of God. No, it says we are created in the likeness of God which brings true righteousness and holiness. And so again, we trust in Jesus. We want to be more like him. That's the goal of change. And I want to just push on that as we think about this new year. The goal of change again is not to uh, weigh less, be more healthy, have more money, give away more money, stop doing a bad thing, start doing a good thing, be a better whoever you want to be. That's not the point. That's not going to change anything. What's real change is to become more like Jesus. So focus on that. Don't focus on the external. Nothing's going to change and last without knowing that we have a problem that we need Jesus to fix and then we follow him and we look to be more and more like him. And as we see God doing that in our lives, we can celebrate that. Not in guilt, saying I'm not what I should be, but instead knowing that God is working in us to be more like Jesus and one day we will be just like him. Now let's take some time. If we see the need for change, the goal of change, let's look at the source of change. You guys have already picked up on this. You're going to see what the source of change is. And many times we feel like the source of change is ourselves. But let's look at what the Bible says. The source of change, it's not willpower. The source of change. Change comes through union with Christ. Change comes through union with Christ. So let's look at Romans 6, 5 through 14. We've already looked at Romans 6, 1 through 4, but let's continue. It says this, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin 
as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Romans 6 is a beautiful passage as we think about what it looks like to be made new. Again, in Romans 6, we see very, very clearly as Christ died and rose to new life, we are to be united to him so that we, we too have died to our old sinful hearts and now can live in new life. Now can have new life. Not life that is dominated by sin, but life that is dominated by God's grace. We see here that the source of change comes as we are united with Christ. As we understand that it's through what he did, and we just celebrated that through communion, that it's through what he did through his death, and his resurrection that can bring us the death to sin that we desire and the new life that we so desperately need. So again, the source of change comes through what Christ has done and as we were united to him. Romans, Romans 6 tells us we are united to Jesus. If we believe in Jesus, we trust in Jesus, we put our life into him, he is in us, and therefore we have this power in us to no longer have to sin but instead to live under his grace. Galatians 2.20 says something very similar, much shorter. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, the faith, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says in Galatians very, very clearly, very, very succinctly, I've died with Christ, so I don't live anymore. It's not me anymore but it's Christ who lives in me I'm united with Christ and therefore since he died to sin and has lived and brought new life I am dead to sin and in new life as well and that's and so then Paul says I'm going to live by that truth I'm going to live by faith in the son of God there was a slogan that I really loved for a long time I saw it on some bumper stickers and things and that slogan was this I said we live for him because he died for us uh, that slogan is a really good slogan uh, we live for him because he died for us. And that is true. That is true. But I actually think we should modify that a little bit as we look at this passage and even in Romans 6. And I would just tweak it and say this. We live for him because he lives in us. We live for him because he lives in us. Again, even the, the first one, we live for him because he died for us, is basically saying, listen, I'll do what God wants me to do because he died for me. It's all about us. We, but if we live for him because he lives in us, then it's all about him. As he lives his life through us, because we have his Holy Spirit in our, in our hearts, and we're going to see that as we continue to look, we understand that change comes as we unite ourselves with Christ, and we live in light of the fact that he has died for us, yes, but lives in us now. That is the truth that Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Christ lives in me, he says, and therefore he doesn't live a life in the flesh. He doesn't live a life of sin any longer, but instead will live a life like as Jesus. Again, not perfection, but the point is being more and more like him as our days go on. But let's continue to look at the, uh, the source of change. So it's through union with Christ. The next thing we look at is change comes through the power of God. The change comes through the power of God. And this is uh, already seen, but I think we need to really emphasize this again. Second Corinthians, we've already read this passage this morning and we sang a song about it, which is great, that God makes all things new. But let's read it one more time. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
What I want us to see here is oftentimes we stop at 517, and it's a very good verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that is truth. That is very true. If we know Jesus, we are new. We are no longer what we once were, and we are something new. But let's not forget, especially the beginning of verse 18, all this is from God. We are not creating a new life for ourselves. God is the one who brings the new creation. We need to focus and understand that, that God is the one who brings new life, new creation. He is the one that makes us new. It's not about our power or our strength. Another verse that says this for Second Peter 1, 3 through 7. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us in his precious and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature. That's that idea of becoming like Jesus, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. You know, you notice here in this last section in verse 5, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And, and so I want to make sure that we understand that there is effort that is going to be involved in this whole process. It's not just sitting by and, and waiting for uh, God to drop these bombs on us that are just going to create all these things to change in our lives. There is some effort on our side, and we're going to look a lot of that next week. We're going to look at how the power of God relates to our effort. Okay, That's going to be something we're going to look at specifically next week. But what I want to say here, it says, for this very reason. Well, what's the reason? Well, the reason, going back to verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, everything that happens in our life, the growth we see in our Christian life, is given to us through his divine power. His divine power is what does this. Again, even our effort is grounded in his divine power. It's God who does this. It's God who changes us. It's God who causes us to grow. And this idea of being granted to us, this is the idea of grace. You see, the Bible says we are saved by grace, but we also need to understand that we live by grace as well. That it's everything that happens and all the good change that happens in our lives, all the growth that we see, it's all because of God's power within us, not out of our own strength that we can muster up. That is not what change is all about. And so we see that change comes through the power of God. This is vitally important. And how does that look? Well, let's look at our last point here as we think about change in the source. Change comes through the Spirit of God. Change comes through the Spirit of God. So how is this power seen? Well, it's through the fact that the Holy Spirit himself gives us power to live the life that we need to live because the Holy Spirit, as we looked at when we talked about Emmanuel, is not only with us, but he is in us. Again, it's that idea that Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And we look at this and we see what happens in Romans 8, 9 through 11. It says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Again, change comes through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of God. We see that because as believers, if we know Jesus, if we've come to the place where we have trusted Jesus with our lives and trusted him to change our hearts, he does that by the Holy Spirit coming within us. 
and changing us from the inside out. Remember, we talked at the beginning about this. It's not about sin out there, but it's about sin in here. And if we want inward change, it's going to have to come from an inward source, which is not us and our strength and our power, but it's the Spirit of God. And so we see Romans 8 tells us that very, very clearly. But then also Galatians 5, and many of you will know this passage, but Galatians 5, 16 through 24. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. How often do we feel that way? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a lot here, but what we see is that it's by this Holy Spirit that our sinful deeds are put to death. It is by his presence in us that our sinful deeds are put to death and instead replaced with godly fruit. Now notice, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of our labor. Okay, a lot of times we'll hear that phrase, the fruit of our labor. It doesn't say, but the fruit of your labor is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who brings fruit in our lives. If we want to see these things happen in our lives, it's not through our strength, but it's through the fact that God's Spirit is within us. And so we trust God to do what He says He will do and not get in the way, as so often we do. But we look for Him to, make, to, do fruit, to get, bear fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But many times we take these fruits and we say, say, I need to figure out how I can love more. I need to figure out how I can have more joy. I need to figure out how I can have more peace. Oh man, I'm really an impatient person. I need to find a way to have more patience. I'm, man, I'm just a real mean person. I, I need to work on my kindness. I need to be more kind to people. Uh, I'm a bad guy and I want to be good. So God, I need to be better at goodness. Uh, faithfulness, I'm, I need to be more faithful. I need to be more gentle. I just need to control myself more. How many times do we get ourselves in that thought? And we think those things and we think that somehow we can make the changes we need from the outside or from our own hearts to make these changes and to bring these things in our lives, but that's not what it is. It's about coming to God and understanding it's only through Him that we can have fruit. I, I came across this illustration this week, which uh, being coming out of the Christmas season I thought was perfect. I don't remember where I saw it. I wish I could give credit to it. It's not me. But I, I think this is really, really, really good. And it's this idea of a Christmas tree versus a fruit tree. All right, so we talk about fruit, right? Let's, let's compare a Christmas tree to a fruit tree. All right, Christmas tree you put up, whether it's real, fake, doesn't matter. You put up the, the Christmas tree, and then you put ornaments on the tree. You, you, you hang the ornaments on the tree, you put the tinsel on the tree, you garland, whatever you might use, you put the star on top, you put stuff on the Christmas tree. And, and you think, wow, that Christmas tree looks really, really nice, because you've put all those things on. But the truth of the matter is that tree is still just a dead tree. So if you're using a real tree specifically, you put all those ornaments on and the tree still dies. Like it's, there's, there's nothing really happening with the tree. It's all about what you're putting on. The, you're taking outside things, putting it on the tree. And that's not going to last. A fruit tree is the opposite. 
The things that end up in a fruit tree are not things you put on. They're not like ornaments, but they're things that grow out of the tree. Because the, the tree is the one growing it because you're not, you, you can't make a fruit tree grow fruit, right? You can't go up to it and just throw an orange on it and be like, oh good, now you're an orange tree. You can't just throw an apple on it and expect it just to stay there, right? And oh, now you're an apple tree. That's not how this works. The fruit has to come from within. Just like the fruit has to come from the spirit. It has to come from within. It can't come from the outside. We can't just put things on the tree. And many times that's what we try to do. We put the ornament of uh, joy on the tree. We put the ornament of love. We put the ornament of peace or patience or kindness or goodness, faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. We put these ornaments on the tree and that doesn't last. It's not true fruit. It's ornaments. But yet if we allow the spirit to work within us, then fruit will come as a result of the source of the tree. The source of life is the tree itself, not by what we can do to it. So here's what I want to say. Change is not something we can manufacture or do in our own strength. No amount of willpower, good strategy, or even disciplines, like spiritual disciplines, can bring the true change we need. Now, I'm careful when I say that, because next week, we're going to look at spiritual disciplines We're going to look at what it looks like to allow God to do what he says he's going to do. But if all we do is focus on our willpower, our strategy, or being a more disciplined person in this new year, it's not going to bring the true change that we need. It is only through God's grace and his power that we have been changed and continue to be changed. Listen to that. It is only through God's grace and power that we have been changed, right? We have been changed from death to life. We've been changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. All these things are true in our lives. But it's also not only God's grace and power that we have, that's already changed us, but continues to change us. I want to read a, a quote, and this is where we're uh, going to end before we have a few conclusion questions. But I want to read this quote from a, a book called How People Change. Uh, it's a really good book uh, about how people change, right? That's the, the title. But within this book, there's a quote from J.C. Ryle which I believe is from his book, Holiness. But this quote from J.C. Ryle, he's a, uh, he's, an, he's a dead guy, which usually means he has some good things to say. Uh, J.C. Ryle um, says some really good things about this very idea. And so listen to what he has to say. Would you be holy? Would you become a new creature? Then you must begin with Christ. You will do nothing at all and make no progress till you feel your sin and weakness and flee to him. He is, the root of, he is the root and beginning of all holiness, and the way to be holy is to come to him by faith and be joined to him. Men sometimes try to make themselves holy first of all, and sad work they make of it. They toil and labor, and they turn over new leaves and make many changes. And yet they run in vain and labor in vain, and little wonder, for they are beginning at the wrong end. They are building up a wall of sand. Their work runs down as fast as they throw it up. They are bailing water out of a leaky vessel. The leak gains on them, not they on the leak. Do you want to attain holiness? Do you feel this day a real hearty desire to be holy? Would you be a partaker of the divine nature? Then go to Christ. Wait for nothing. Wait for nobody. Linger not. Think not to make yourself ready, but go and say to him in the words of that beautiful hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, flee to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. There is not a brick or a stone that is laid in the work of our sanctification till we go to Christ. 
And would you continue to be holy? Then abide in Christ. He says himself, Abide in me, and I in you. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same beareth much fruit. In John 15. It pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, a full supply for all believers' wants. He is the physician to whom you must daily go if you would keep well. He is the manna to which you must daily eat and the rock by which you may daily drink. His arm is the arm on which you must daily lean as you come up out of the wilderness of this world. You must not only be rooted, but you also must be built up in him. Now that's a long quote, but in essence... It is through God's grace and power, it is through Jesus, it is through his gospel that we have been changed and will continue to be changed. So we trust in him and lean into him and look to him for our change this year and beyond. So in conclusion, a few questions, we'll just run through these quickly. Have you been changed by the gospel? Have you experienced true change in the very beginning of understanding that you have been changed from death to life, changed from darkness to light through Jesus' gospel, through the good news that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven, rose again to prove that sin and death had no power, and therefore we can have new lives in Jesus if we trust in him and turn away from our ways of living and turn towards Jesus, trust him with our lives. That is salvation, and that brings true change. If you find yourself never being able to change and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not surprised because he is the one that can bring true change. And if you don't know him, then today needs to be the day that you understand who Jesus is, what he's done, and receive him into your heart and help him and ask him to change your heart from the inside out. That's where everything needs to begin, by coming to Jesus, knowing the gospel, and trusting in him. But then for for all of us here, we need to ask this question. Who or what are you relying on to make changes in your life? Are you trusting in yourself, trusting in a strategy, maybe trusting in a program to think that somehow all of these things are going to change you? Change does not come from the outside. Change comes from within. So what are you relying on? Who are you relying on to make changes in your life? Let it be Jesus. And finally, do you see spiritual fruit in your life? All this list that we just looked at, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, These things are Christ-likeness, by the way. This is fruit that the Spirit brings that is like Jesus. Do you see these things in your life? Are they increasing? If you don't, then it's not about trying to do them better. It's about leaning into Jesus. It's about trusting Him to change you from the inside out. And so come to Him and just ask Him to change you. Ask Him to give you fruit. Quit trying to run on your own and let Him do what He does best, what He's promised to do to change us from the inside out, to bring fruit in our lives. Don't trust in yourselves this new year to do anything new, but instead trust in God and Jesus Christ who gives new life to those who ask. Let's pray, and then we have a few announcements after. Lord, thank you for bringing us together to understand your love and the fact that you are the God who changes us. Would we trust you in that? Would you help us to move forward in knowledge that you are making us new from the inside out, that you will change our hearts and we can't do this in our own strength. Help us not to think that somehow we can manufacture change in our lives or that we can manufacture change in this church. Like It's only through you. We need your strength. We need your power, your divine power. We need your grace. We need, Spirit, you to bring fruit in our lives. We need your help. So God, would you help us to understand that this year and beyond as we think about change, as we think about what it looks like to live a life that is holy and a life that is pure, as we think about the fact that you are recreating us day by day, would you help us to trust you to do what you do best? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.